uh, what, a, what an absolute joy to be here with you uh, tonight. Uh, so many friends, um, Brad and Laura, have inspired me. Uh, thank you, Todd, and uh, the entire team for making this happen. Um, and then I bumped into some of you uh, uh, that have had uh, kids who have done a little stint in Washington, D.C. and attended National Community Church. What a, what a joy to be able to have served as a pastor to some of your kids. Um, I, I, uh, I absolutely uh, love my family. My wife, Laura, and I uh, have been married 20 years. We have three kids. Parker is 17, Summer's 15, and Josiah is 11. And uh, on the side, I pastor a national community church and uh, have the joy of writing a couple of books and uh, excited about what I think the Lord's going to speak to us tonight. Can I invite you to stand just one more time? And I want to lead us uh, in a prayer that I've come to love. The Quakers used to pray with uh, body posture, uh, with their hands face down. Uh, kind of symbolizing things that they needed to let go of. Uh, they would pray and then they would turn their hands over in a posture of receptivity. And uh, just a wonderful way of saying, God, I want everything you have for me. And if you'd feel comfortable doing it, could I lead us in prayer that way? Uh, with your hands face down. God, we come before you tonight. And Lord, some of us had uh, uh, challenging flights getting here and we left situations that, uh, if we were to think about them, would be distracting, distracting. And God, others carry a burden into this place or maybe even sin that needs to be confessed. And so, God, anything in our lives that we need to let go of, right now we let go of those things and we turn our hands over. And God, we're ready to receive from you everything that you want to speak into our hearts and lives over these next 48 hours. God, we're ready to receive. Give us ears to hear and a heart to receive everything that you want to do in our lives. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. You can be seated. Now, if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 10, uh, or you can listen as I read, and and we'll get there uh, in just a moment. Uh, there's a book on your table that, uh, thanks to, uh, to generous giving for putting that into your hands. Uh, let me tell you the story behind uh, the title. Uh, in the first century BC, there was a drought in Israel, threatened to destroy uh, a generation of Jews. But there was one man who was famous for praying for rain. His name was Honey the Circle Maker. Now, Josephus, the Jewish historian, references at him as Onias the Rainmaker, but the same person. And uh, he had the faith to believe that God could do meteorological miracles. And so when the people asked him to pray, he did something kind of curious. He took his staff and uh, he put his staff on the ground and he began to turn. And he turned. And turned all the way around until he stood within this circle that he had drawn in the sand. And then he knelt down and he prayed this prayer. He said, Sovereign Lord, I swear before your great name that I will not leave this circle until you have mercy upon your children. Now that's a bold prayer. If God doesn't answer that prayer, you're going to be in that circle a long time. But here's what I believe. I believe that God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor God. 
and it started to rain. And the people rejoiced, but Honey was still kneeling in his circle. He said, not for such rain have I prayed, but for the rain that will fill pits and caverns and cisterns. Now, according to the historical record, it started raining so hard that they had to go up to the Temple Mount because of flash floods. Well, Honey is still in his circle. And he says, not for such rain have I prayed, but for the rain of your blessing and favor and graciousness. And it started to rain in perfect moderation now what's interesting is that the Sanhedrin uh, who also had a problem with Jesus healing on the Sabbath right Uh, threatened to excommunicate him because they said that his prayer was too demanding Uh, but you can't argue with miracles can you And so ultimately, Honey was honored for the prayer that saved a generation. I don't know about you, but I love that. I I come tonight um, with a very, very simple thought. Uh, I believe that prayer is the difference between the best we can do and the best God can do. I think prayer is the difference between us fighting for God and God fighting for us. And I believe that we are one prayer away from a totally different Life, And we're going to see that tonight. What I want to do is I want to look at one of the most amazing divine appointments in Scripture. And I want to talk about how giving and prayer coupled together uh, created this unbelievable divine appointment that not only changed the course of two people's lives, but it's the reason why we're here tonight. And that'll make sense in a few minutes. Acts chapter 10 and verse number 1. At Caesarea... There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. And then there are two descriptions of Cornelius, and these are underlined in my Bible. It says, he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Now, isn't that interesting? Generous giving and regular praying. Uh, Those two things together uh, set the table for God to do miracles. Because here's what I believe. Our giving is someone else's miracle. So let me just share personally about these two things for a moment. And then uh, we'll read the rest of the story. Uh, When my wife and I got married 20 years ago, we made a decision that we would never not tithe. We would give the first 10% back to God. But then uh, we felt like God wanted us to give a greater percentage of our income back to God every year. And so it's been a fun journey um, to, uh, to see what we could give, give back to God. Now, the truth is, before I wrote a couple of bu- books, there was not, not a whole lot to give, okay? Um, that percentage didn't amount to a whole lot of money. But, but we gave and we loved it. And uh, our family has four core values Uh, courage, humility, gratitude, and generosity. And these are four things that are on a coat of arms that hang in our house. And so every time we walk in and out the door and we teach our kids about this and we try to model it and live it, and we love to give. Um, And so over the years, we've tried to give generously. And I may share a little bit more about that. And then we've tried to pray regularly. Now, here's what I believe. When you pray to God regularly, irregular things will happen on a regular basis. Have you found this to be true? Uh, When I pray, coincidences happen. And when I don't, they don't. And I don't believe they're coincidences. I believe that they are 
providences. That it's God ordering our footsteps. It's God preparing good works in advance. And it's giving generously and praying regularly that then enable these divine appointments to happen. Now look at what happens next. It says, one day, and uh, these are two of my favorite words in the Bible. Because today could be the day. One day. See, God can accomplish more in one day than we can accomplish in a lifetime, right? And so when you're giving generously and praying regularly, you can live with this holy anticipation because you never know how or when or where God is going to show up. But it might be one day at three o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, that's what happened here. And so an angel of the Lord shows up and Cornelius has this vision. And it says in verse four, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. And the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now that's too good for me to just keep reading, okay? Let me stop right there. Is this not incredible? It means every gift, every prayer, God never forgets. A memorial offering to God. Uh, I had a uh, grandfather who prayed for his grandchildren. Everybody have praying grandparents? What a blessing from the Lord. Um, My grandfather had a little prayer habit at night. He would kneel next to his bed and he had a hearing aid. He would take it off and he would begin to pray for his family and he couldn't hear himself, but everybody else in the house could. (laughs) It's a powerful thing when you're five or six years old and some of your earliest memories are a grandfather praying for you by name. I can tell you some of the most profound moments of my life have been moments, he died when I was six, Our prayers don't die when we do. No expiration date. They're a memorial offering to God. Some of those powerful moments in my life have been the moments when the Spirit of God has whispered to my spirit and said, Mark, the the prayers of your grandfather are being answered in your life right now. Powerful moments. It says, Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who had spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. And we just kind of keep reading as if nothing happened. But I mean, in, uh, in this context, this was a crazy step of faith. Um, Caesarea and Joppa were 32 miles apart. Now, that doesn't seem like very much to us, especially considering I flew from D.C. to here this morning, okay? But in in the first century, the average person never traveled outside a 30-mile radius of their birthplace. In other words, for the average person, their entire universe was about 30 miles in any direction. Okay, so... 32 miles. So what God is saying to Cornelius is I want you to leave the world that you know and in a sense step into an entirely different world. Now God's never going to tell us to do anything that would be contrary to his good, pleasing and perfect will. But there are times that God's going to call us to do something different. Now here's the challenge. Most of us want God to do something new while we keep doing the same old thing. But If we want God to do something different, sometimes we have to go a little bit further than we've gone before. We have to take that step of faith. And of course, the challenge is we want God to reveal the second step before we take the first step, don't we? Because then it doesn't require any faith at all. 
Let me tell you a little bit of uh, our story. Uh, We own and operate uh, our church, a coffee house in Capitol Hill called Ebenezer's Coffee House. It's a Hebrew word. It means hitherto the Lord has helped us. And there were so many miraculous moments in the journey that we just decided to call it what it is. And uh, the Lord's blessed it. Um, We knew that if you're going to go in the coffee house business, if you can't compete with Starbucks, you might as well stay out of the game. And so we knew we had to have a great uh, product, a great atmosphere. And the Lord's blessed us. voted the number one coffee house in the metro dc area uh since we opened our doors we've had a million customers and then the cool thing is every penny of profit goes to missions now you might be thinking like why would a church build a coffee house well why wouldn't you i mean jesus didn't just hang out at the synagogue he hung out at wells right coffee houses are postmodern wells it's just coffee instead of water But that's where we hang out in our culture. And so we thought, let's create a place where our church and community can cross paths. Now, let me tell you a little bit of the the backstory. Um, One day I was walking by an old crack house, um, had cinder blocks in the doors and the windows. And as I walked by, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, "This, this crack house would make a great coffee house. And... I've learned that sometimes if it's not crazy, God might not be in it, right? And so it was just crazy enough that I thought to myself, well, we better put this thing to prayer. And so what I did is I started uh, praying circles around that that crack house. Because at that point, um, we had a handful of people, barely a handful of money. And so we weren't in a position to buy anything. And they wanted a million dollars for it. I started circling that thing in prayer. Now, it's across the street from the Federal Judiciary Building in Kitty Corner uh, to what is now the Securities and Exchange Commission. So high security. And and so I would circle this thing in prayer. It's usually around the fifth or sixth lap that I would get these crazy looks from the security ladies. Is this guy casing a crack house? Whoa, what is this guy doing? Well, I I was praying because I didn't know what else to do. And you know what? The more we prayed, the more the price went down. We finally bought it for $325,000. Now, the crazy thing is four people offered more money for it than we did, two of them real estate developers. But you know what? What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, Matthew 18, 18. Here's what I believe. When you're praying, it needs to be in the will of God and for the glory of God, right? But if it passes that twofold litmus test, we underestimate the authority that is ours in Christ. And so we pray. Prayer is the way you put a spiritual contract on things. And so we put a spiritual contract on it. We bought it, opened it. Um, and when we did, uh, took a little bit of money to build it. And so we had to uh, take out a $2 million loan. And one day I was in prayer and as I prayed I felt like the Lord kind of impressed on my spirit that that I was to pray for a two million dollar miracle now this was the this was strange this had never happened to me I'm not like a this kind of stuff really doesn't happen and uh but as I was praying I was pretty sure that the Lord said I'm gonna do a miracle you need to pray for it and ask for it and so I started praying that God would do a two million dollar miracle and uh a couple of years went by and uh, that prayer went unanswered. So I did what a lot of us did. I tried to manufacture the miracle. And so I started a little side business that I thought was the 
$2 million miracle. Instead, it was lose all the money you put into it kind of scenario. And, and I remember being disappointed and thinking to myself, did I totally not hear what God was saying? And, uh, but I, I just felt like the Lord said, I'm still, it's going to happen. I'm keep praying, keep believing. And so, you know, we're a church that's majority single 20 somethings, about 70%. So not people that make a lot of money, but an incredibly generous church. And, and, you know, at that point, um, someone had once given us a $42,000 gift. That was the largest gift we'd ever received in 10 years. And that was on a sale of a home that someone felt like they wanted to give that. And that was amazing. Well, one day someone called uh, to set up an appointment with me and I almost didn't take it because I was on a writing deadline and uh, they said they wanted to get together and talk about church government. That just didn't sound like an enjoyable conversation to me. And and I remember thinking like, oh man, what are we doing wrong? Because this is going to be one of those meetings. And, uh, but I felt like I should take it. And so Um, For 90 minutes, I answered every question that you can absolutely imagine about church government and checks and balances and the way things are done and decisions are made. And and I was feeling a little defensive by the end of the meeting, like, where's all of this coming from? Uh, And then right at the end of the meeting, um, they said, well, now tell us about your vision. Why well, had so much pent-up energy at that point? I just let it rip. And I said, well, our 2020 vision is 20 locations. You know, some in the metro D.C. area. Uh, we'll open our first international location, a cafe in Berlin, Germany, this year. Um, uh, a dream center uh, that will meet some of the, the needs that exist in our capital city. And so I just kind of let it go. And, uh, and they said, well, thanks. Um, we'll see you later. And I was like, that was really, really strange. And I walked out, and uh, a couple of weeks later, and it's one reason why I love this story, because it was about three o'clock in the afternoon. I got a phone call. And uh, it was this couple, and uh, they said, um, we, we wanted to get back in touch with you, follow up on our meeting. And, uh, and they said, we want to give a gift to National Community Church. And, and I remember thinking to myself, most people just put it in the offering. And so if you're telling me, like, you want to give, give, I don't know, maybe it's like more than $42,000. And, and, uh, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, um, I want to tell you a couple of things before I tell you uh, the gift that we want to give. Uh, he said, um, number one, no strings attached. Uh, number two, We want to remain anonymous. We don't want anybody to know who gave this, but if you can leverage it somehow as a matching gift or something like that, just, but it's at your discretion. We trust you. And he said, I want to tell you why we're giving you the gift. And here's what he said. He said, because you have vision beyond your resources. Now, I will never forget that moment because too often we let our budget determine our vision instead of our vision determining our budget. And then he told me, We want to give the church $3 million. And that's the moment where the Holy Spirit brought to my memory that we had been praying for this $2 million miracle for years at that point. And my first reaction was, but Lord, he said $3 million, not that I'm complaining. (laughs) And it was like the Holy Spirit said, Mark, I want to just show you I can do one better. One million better. Listen, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. 
And, and I've learned that when you seek him, when you give generously and pray regularly, you put yourself in a place where miracles can happen at three o'clock in the afternoon. Now, what we have is one person praying named Cornelius. Let's talk about what happens when two people pray. Verse nine, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry, wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheep being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And then I love verse 14. Peter says, surely not, Lord. Now, I'm pretty sure that if you're calling someone Lord, the two words that can never precede that are surely not. But, but I understand this. This is, uh, Peter had obeyed Jewish dietary laws his entire life. You don't eat unclean. It was unthinkable. And so I understand Peter's problem with this. But here's what I've discovered. When you get into an argument with God, if you win that argument, you lose. And if you lose that argument, you win. Uh, When we were a church of uh, 20 or 25 people uh, just getting started, um, uh, I'm not Randy Phillips, but I led worship. The problem with that is I didn't have a very good voice and uh, my rhythm is worse than my voice. And we didn't have a drummer. And so I remember in those early days, we started praying, God, send us a drummer, send us a drummer. Like our worship is miserable, God. We need some rhythm here. Like, please send us. We must have prayed for that 200 times. And one day I felt like the Lord said, well, why don't you go out and buy a drum set? Now, my reaction to this was, why don't you send us a drummer? Because I want God to go first. And uh, I remember thinking to myself, this, how can I even explain this? Like our income was $2,000 a month as a church. $1,600 was the rent for the D.C. public school where we met. That left $400 for uh, our salary and all other expenses. Uh, but I felt like I needed to act on this. And so uh, this is pre-Google. So I looked in the want ads, found a drum set. Anybody want to guess how much that drum set costs? Uh, $400. God is good at what God does. Sometimes he's going to test you all the way. And uh, I remember thinking, God, this isn't even good stewardship. Like, how, how can I even explain getting a drum set for an imaginary drummer that doesn't even exist? And, uh, and so by faith, I drove up uh, to Silver Spring, Maryland and uh, picked up a drum set. That was a Thursday. That Sunday, a kid walks into our service clean cut You know, in D.C., you recognize the type of military. You just don't know what branch. And so uh, met him after the service. uh, Marine Corps, 8th and I, Drum and Bugle Corps. They play for the president. We have a simple rule uh, on our worship team. If you play for the president, you can be on our worship band. (laughs) You know, sometimes God shows up and sometimes God shows off. And I love it when God shows up, but how many of you know it's usually preceded by a step of faith. You've got to take that little step of faith. And so what is Peter 
going to do? Well, the story continues. It says, uh, this happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out about, uh, found out where Simon's house was, stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up, go downstairs. Don't hesitate to go with them for I have sent them. And the following day, verse 24, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and called together his relatives and close friends. And then verse 25, as Peter entered the house. I'm going to close with that. Um, The only thing more unthinkable than a Jewish person eating unclean animals would have been them associating with someone who is unclean. At this point uh, in history, uh, the way as it was known was a sect of Judaism. The only people who followed Jesus were Jewish. That's it. And so the thought of Peter going to meet with Cornelius, in fact, he gets called on the carpet. If you read a couple of chapters later, he gets in trouble. Um, But sometimes you have to risk your reputation in order to establish God's reputation. And this is one of those moments for Peter. And so by faith, he steps out and goes. And many of us know the rest of the story. Cornelius and his entire household are saved and baptized. But but here's what I want you to see. It says as Peter entered the house. Now on one level, like th- this is, uh, seems like the most mundane of statements in the Bible. Like, I mean, you tend to open a door and then you walk in as Peter entered the house, right? Like, I mean, is that really that big a deal? Well, no, th- this threshold, uh, this is the turning point in the history of the church. This is the wardrobe in the Chronicles of Narnia. This is the rabbit hole in Alice in Wonderland. I call it the door to whosoever because the moment that Peter steps through that door whosoever will may come now are you tracking with me uh, how many of you here tonight are not Jewish let me see your hands if Cornelius doesn't get saved you can't get saved this is the moment that opens the door to whosoever so that Anyone can come and find salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the critical moment. See, when Cornelius and Peter were praying, those prayers were not just answered one time in the salvation of Cornelius and his household. Those prayers have been answered billions of times and they were answered one more time the moment you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the power of of praying regularly. That's the power of giving generously. Now here's one last observation. Peter and Cornelius should have never met. And that's what I love about being in relationship with a sovereign God who is omnipotent and omniscient, who orders our footsteps. Because you know what? You don't have to worry about meeting the right people. You just meet with God. And God will make sure you meet the right people at the right time. Why? Because he knows everybody. That's, pretty good. That's a pretty good deal if you're networking. Um, it is one degree of separation. Uh, 
you know, don't, don't seek opportunity. Seek God and let opportunity seek you. Uh, don't seek answers. Seek God. Answers will seek you. Uh, I have a good friend, Dick Foth, who was a mentor to me for many, many years, who went to work in Washington, D.C., and would sit with uh, uh, members uh, uh, of Congress, uh, to ambassadors, to the White House. And I remember him telling me when he first moved to D.C. how nervous he was. He just felt like he was out of his league. Like, what, what business do I even have being here? And, uh, and so he said one day, uh, he was walking through the halls of Congress and he had one of those moments. And he said, I felt like God said, Dick, you meet with me in the morning and you'll have no problem meeting with senators in the afternoon. Meet with God. God will take care of everything else. Now, I love sharing testimonies, uh, stories of the way that, that God um, creates these divine appointments. Cornelius and Peter is certainly one of the most amazing. Let me share one last little story. Uh, a couple of months ago, I got an email from uh, someone who had read a book that I'd written, uh, not the one on your table, but uh, In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. Uh, it's a book I wrote a few years ago, and he said, uh, I was on a flight from uh, my home to Las Vegas, and he said, uh, as I read your book, I just felt convicted that I was a little bit too passive in my faith, that I needed to be a little bit more proactive, look for some opportunities that were around me. And uh, so he said, we landed in Phoenix, changed planes, and then uh, took off for Vegas. And there was this girl that was seated next to me. And there was just something in my spirit that said, this is not just a seat assignment. It's a divine assignment. Um, it's a divine appointment. And so he turned to her and uh, introduced himself. And when he did, it was kind of one of those encounters on an airplane where you just told me your name, but don't tell me anything else. I don't want to talk to you again in the armrest is mine kind of deal. You know what I'm talking about? Shut him down. But he couldn't shake the feeling that, that this was something that God had intended. And so uh, he turned to her and said, listen, young lady, I don't want to offend you in any way, but I just feel like you're carrying a burden. And if sharing it with me could help in any way, I'm all ears. Well, this 17-year-old girl was three months pregnant and she was on a plane to Vegas because her boyfriend told her to take off and take care of it. She had stolen her parents' credit card that morning, bought a one-way ticket to Vegas. And it seems to me like one, maybe two lives are in jeopardy. Well, she shared her story uh, this man shared the grace of God. And by the time they landed in Vegas, he convinced her, you need to call your parents. They must be worried sick. And so she got on the phone, called her parents. Her parents said, it's okay. You come home. We'll walk with you through this. It's going to be okay. Let us take care of you and love you. And so she hopped on a plane, flew right back home and sent uh, the man named Peter uh, sent him a text message that night and just said thank you. Now by my calculations she was three months pregnant when I heard the story that little boy or girl is now about two or three months old. Now I don't know if that mother will share that story with that child. I, I don't know. But it seems to me like that little child has a prayer genealogy that there was a critical moment uh, 
before that baby was even born when God said, I'm gonna step in and intervene. And you know what? I believe that each one of us, like that child, has this genealogy, a spiritual genealogy, if you will. And the critical moments are those prayer moments and those giving moments when God comes through in an incredible way, in a way that we could not manufacture. And if we give generously and we pray regularly, all bets are off. Anything can happen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you tonight for your word. God, thank you for the way that your spirit works in our lives, guides us. Lord, thank you for the way that you order our footsteps. And tonight, God, I pray that we would be challenged by your word, by the example that's set by Cornelius as he gave generously and prayed regularly. God, I pray that you would help us to be those people so that we can experience these kinds of divine appointments in our lives. Lord, we humble ourselves before you and we surrender our lives to you. We offer everything that we have and everything that we are for your kingdom purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you.